Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, God is one. William Hazlitt, one of the greatest critics and essayists in the history of the English language, said, Man is the only animal that laughs and weeps, for he is the only animal that is struck with the difference between what things are and what they ought to be. And in today's Gospel from St. Luke, we are reminded of the humanity of Jesus as he weeps over Jerusalem, for Jesus weeps over the very difference between the way things are and the way they ought to be for Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples stand on the Mount of Olives, the traditional site of Bethphage, halfway along the two-mile walk from Bethany to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. From there, all of Jerusalem can be seen in its gorgeous splendor. I've never been there personally, but I recommend when you get home that you take a look at the photographs from the official webpage of the Mount of Olives. Indeed, the view of the city is amazing from there, and the Temple Mount is front and center. Jesus has taken this walk many times, but he's about to enter the city for his last time. And he becomes overcome with the sight of the city and the temple where the Jewish people awaited the return of the Shekinah glory, the pillar of smoke by day and the pillar of fire by night. It was the presence of God that had carried them through the wilderness and the cloud that filled the temple upon the dedication of Solomon's temple. It hadn't returned following the rebuilding of the temple after the Babylonian exile, despite the substantial reconstruction and expansion under Herod. The Jewish nation had returned to Jerusalem, but they were under the Roman yoke, and it still seemed that God was distant. Few had recognized that in Jesus, the Shekinah glory was already there, walking among them. And as he walked to Jerusalem once again to fill the temple with the presence of God, and more importantly, the new temple, the temple of our hearts, the temple not made with hands, the place where we would now worship the Father, not upon this mountain, nor upon that mountain, when the pillar of fire, the Holy Spirit, would descend on Pentecost into the temple of our hearts. What ought to have been that God's chosen people recognized that their day of reunion and victory over their enemies had finally come. What ought to have been their realization that God had been faithful, even though they had not been faithful, and that God himself had given everything to be faithful to and save his people, and to be with his people again, met the stark contrast of what actually was. Jesus was walking into Jerusalem to be murdered by them, instead. But Jesus does not so much weep over his coming death or over the sin of his murder, but rather Jesus, God himself, sees that justice will occur because that mercy and love have not succeeded in yet achieving the full reunion with all of God's people. And by that I don't just mean the Jews, but all the Gentiles, all of us and our neighbors too. And just as in the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians call 
God's people to repentance after they have rejected him, another nation, in this case the Romans, will again be a call to God's people to repentance after they will have again rejected him. We must remember that God does not want these terrible things to transpire. He doesn't want them to happen. They aren't what he wants. But because they are the natural consequences of our actions and inactions, they occur. The consequences of our free will, which is part of how we are created in the image and likeness of God, to have free will. In the Garden of Eden, God does not tell Adam and Eve that if they eat of the tree of good and evil, that he's going to kill them. He simply says, they will die. The wages of sin is death, as St. Paul tells us. The natural consequence of our separation from God is our decay and death. God does not want that. And such should be clear from today's gospel. Jesus weeps not because he will have to act because of the sin of his murder. Why should he? After all, he knows, and we have come to understand that by that murder, he redeems us from sin and death. But instead, he weeps because of his love for us. And because that saving love is being rejected by our own action, a consequence will follow. For that rejection placed those who committed it in various forms and degrees on the outside of his saving grace. And not only those who directly committed the atrocities, but our neighbors too. Just as the fall of Adam and Eve affected not only them, but their neighbors, their descendants. Our actions and inactions can and often do affect our neighbors and descendants. How much must we be mindful of this? How much we must be mindful that even our secret sins break the fabric of communion and love with God and our neighbor? For this, Jesus weeps. You may know of another place in the gospel where Jesus weeps. The other time, as you may recall, is in St. John's Gospel. When at Lazarus' tomb, before Jesus raises him from the dead, Jesus also weeps. While both events are translated into English as weeps, it turns out they are different Greek words with slightly different meanings. In St. John, at Lazarus' tomb, the root is dakruno, which means to shed tears silently. While in St. Luke, on the Mount of Olives, it is clayo, to weep aloud, expressing uncontainable, audible grief. Jesus is deeply grieved in this story. The other weeping of Jesus also happens towards the end of Jesus' earthly life. In fact, it happens just a few days before in Bethany, the town he began his journey from today, as he travels to Jerusalem. Furthermore, Lazarus' raising is Jesus' turning point toward Jerusalem and the cross in St. John's Gospel. For there we hear it said that after Jesus raised Lazarus, quote, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council together and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on thus, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and destroy both our holy place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. 
You do not understand that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation should not perish. But he did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die, should die for the nation. And not only for the nation also, only, but to gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they took counsel how to put him to death. End of the quote from St. John. What irony! Just as the mocking soldiers hail the king of the Jews and Pilate places on the sign of Jesus' cross the title king of the Jews, the high priest plots to murder Jesus to save the people. In fact, prophesying that, his, that the death of one man, Jesus, will not only save the nation, but to gather all the children of God. And indeed, we know as Christians how true it is that Jesus saves us all. But the irony is even more apparent when this is placed in, today, in the context of today's gospel. Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin believe that they are protecting themselves from the Romans coming and destroying Jerusalem by plotting and achieving the death of Jesus. We hear today in Jesus' prophecy on the Mount of Olives that it is because of that very act, their rejection of Jesus, that the Romans, the enemies of Jerusalem, will indeed cast a trench about thee, compass thee around, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even to the ground, and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave thee one stone upon the other, because thou knowest not the time of thy visitation. And today, on the tenth Sunday of Trinity Tide, we, each of us, also stand at about a halfway point. Just as Jesus stands about halfway between Bethany and Jerusalem, we stand approximately halfway on our walk from Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended to the first Sunday of Advent when we will read the rest of the Palm Sunday story as Jesus triumphantly rides the donkey from the Mount of Olives to enter Jerusalem. We stand halfway between the time that when despite the unfaithfulness of those chosen and established by God to be a light to the world, God yet again proved his faithfulness and returned to the temple of the hearts of his followers. Not just those among his chosen, the Jews who believed in him, but into the hearts of all the world, fulfilling Caiaphas' prophecy to gather together into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So today, where do you stand? Do you stand with Jesus on the Mount of Olives weeping because you know what should be is not how it is? Or do you stand on the Temple Mount scheming because you think you know what should be is not how it is? Do you stand between raising others from the dead while faithfully being obedient to God, even if it will mean your death to this world? Or do you stand between God and those who seek to follow God, blocking them and yourself from his saving grace? Have you turned the temple of your heart into a den of thieves, allowing sin, flesh, and the devil to cast a trench about you, to compass you around and keep you in on every side, and even lay you with the ground, such that they will not leave a stone one stone in you upon another? Or are you turning over the tables, repenting, turning the world upside down in order to follow God? Are you content in changing money 
or are you changing your heart? Does the temple profit from taking, does your temple profit from taking advantage of those who are seeking God, or does it profit in prayer from the Spirit of God that works within it? Brothers and sisters, I pray that we take Jesus' warnings seriously today. I hope we hear in his warnings, his prophecy, that we, in those that we not hear only a prophecy about Jerusalem, but about the Jerusalem within ourselves, about the Jerusalem in our heart that longs for God's return, that longs for the Shekinah glory to once again fill it, that we will not muffle the Spirit of God by which St. Paul tells us that no person can say that Jesus is Lord except it be by the Holy Spirit within him. Ask yourself today where you stand on that journey and wherever you stand on this halfway mark of the season of Trinity. Weep along with Jesus over the gap between where you are and where you want to be. Work to turn over the tables of idols in your heart. And as St. Paul also tells us in our epistles, in our epistle today, do not be led astray to those dumb idols of the heathen. Whatever has moved you there, Work not to be deceived by the flesh, the world, and the devil. Seek to do right. Raise those up around you to life, up to communion and unity with God and each other. Raise them up to the diverse gifts of the Spirit, to the God who is ever faithful to us, who will overturn our every evil for the good of all, who has conquered sin and death that we may live, and who cares for us so much that he will not only weep for us and with us because we are not where we ought to be that is fully united with him, but who will die for us, fight for us, always be faithful to us until we can rest in the new Jerusalem where in Revelation we hear, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. For in that day, there will be no need for tears because what ought to be will finally be what it actually is. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.